Happy New Year from the DC3 cast. I'm Brian. With me, as always, are Zach and Vince. We are back to talk about the comics released on January 2nd, 2019. So if you haven't read those books yet, pause the podcast. Go do that. Um, But before we get to that, a couple of things. Uh, Next week, we will be discussing Aquaman. So um, don't worry. You will get at least two-thirds of the podcast's opinions on on Aquaman. Um, And uh, we hope you enjoyed our Watchmen watch-along. At least the first hour of it. I, I, I can guarantee the first hour was pretty fun. Uh, if you enjoyed it, you're a sicko. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's funny. I was... Um, with a long episode like that, I tried to like poke around and just listen to little bits of it to make sure like our audio kept consistent and all that. you know. But I'm not going to sit there and listen to like a four-hour show when I don't have to. So I'm listening, I'm just poking around, and I get to a point where none of us are saying anything, and then Zach goes, Zach is something like, well, here are three men watching a sex scene, <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> and uh, it was the exact moment none of us had anything to say about uh, the boating down during Halloween. Oh. Well, we were all very titillated. <laughs> we were. Aroused and confused. Uh, but yeah. Um... So, uh, you know, New Year, same same old show. So we have we got five books we're going to talk new about. New Year, new me. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm just going to go ahead and predict that 2019 is going to be just as bad as 2018. So I'm holding off on the new me till maybe 2020. Oh. I don't want to waste a new me, you know, on this shit year. <laughs> Man, I am in a dark place, aren't I? Oh, boy. Um <laughs> Anyway, we're talking about five. In crisis. Yeah, well, well, we'll get to that shit sandwich in a little while. But uh, first up this week is Action Comics number one thousand and six, written by Brian Michael Bendis, illustrated by Ryan Sook. Um, this is still really good. This is still really really good. Um, probably the best comic of the week, I would say. Oh, hands down, the best comic of the week. Yes. Um, I loved, 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 loved all the stuff on the title page this week. Um, There's a lot in there to talk about. Yeah. I didn't expect to see the Martian Manhunter sex scene again. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Revealing (laughs) images too shocking to print. (laughs) (laughs) That was good. Um, What do do you think about the Greg Greg Rucka writing unauthorized Lois Lane book? Isn't that a black black label title? Is it? uh, Okay. I guess I had forgotten about that. That's a nice little nod. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Commandy lives among us, graffiti found in Subway. Mm Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of... Just fun stuff here. Yeah. Hottest men in trunks. Yeah. Continued. I like how there's a picture of, of Bruce like bending over. <laughs> it's yeah, very gratuitous. It's great. It's okay though. Yeah. Super fun. Um but no, I, I really enjoyed this issue. Vince, what'd you think? Yeah, I liked it. I mean it's been the same same solid book with with just 
wonderful art. I, I what what took DC or Marvel so long to get Ryan Sook back on like a a semi regular gig? Like, like, where is he back? Because he's been doing covers forever. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But like, for some reason, for the interiors, it was always like an issue here and there, and it was usually like, like he would come, he would come out for like, uh, I, I want to say back when in the New Fifty Two when DC would be doing Villains Month, things like that, he'd maybe draw an issue of one of those. Did Sook do? The uh, Dead Man story in DC Universe Presents, or am I making that up? That was Bernard Chang, I think. Mm, I can, um, did Sook do covers for that? He did something. Probably. Hold on. For some reason, Dead Man's ringing a bell for me. I think you may be right, Brian. Um... This is riveting radio. Yeah, riveting. He did do covers. Um, I swear Bernard Chang did the... Yeah, Paul Jenkins writes did do Dead Man. Yeah. Yeah. Suck it, Brian. I I will... Sure, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't Sook do a lot on Future's End? Did he do the covers for Yes, yes, he did do the covers for Future's End. Yeah. But you're right, Vince. He's so good. I just love his interiors and, and, and and I just feel like, like every time he shows up in another Bendis issue of a Superman comic, I'm surprised that we're getting it as consistently as we are. Mm -hmm. It's so good. Like this, I'm looking at it right now, the page where, uh, Clark is walking away from having just interrogated the mayor and the mayor rides away in a, in a, a limo or whatever. And, he stumbles upon that boy in the alley who's reading a comic book mm-hmm. and, and he whispers or he, he does like the finger up to his mouth yep. to the boy and then changes into Superman and flies away. That's so perfect. Such a perfect moment, such a little tiny moment in this issue and just executed with warmth and wonder by Sook, you know? Yeah. Good God. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, stuff like that just makes, that it makes it special. It makes what's going on right now special. Yeah, and... sto- you know, like like the stuff with like Red Cloud. I don't. Yeah, it's it's fine. You know, it's none of the none of that is really blowing me away. It's just all these little perfect Superman Clark Kent moments that that Bendis and his artists kind of pull out here and there. You know, well, that's, I was gonna say just it's so clear that Bendis really has a grasp on Superman in a way that. Mm-hmm. There, I mean, I, I think we all can agree that you know Tomasi and Gleason really get Superman too, and, and we really enjoyed their Superman run. But this feels even more in tune to sort of the classic interpretation of Superman. Mm-hmm. Well, going even as far back as Bendis is doing something here because he takes it all the way back to the beginning in this issue with the car. Yep. Yeah. What do you yeah. think about that? <laughs> this was a weird week for DC uh, pulling upon lots of very famous DC iconography. Yes. In In ways that they... I mean, they do it all the time. It's kind of a DC thing to. Well, it's it's 
big two comics in general love to pull on iconic um, iconography and scenes and panels from and, from and even, comics even, past. even bits of dialogue. Yes. But this week felt very eerie, I think, across the board with just how often that was happening. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't know if that says anything about the direction or if it's just coincidence. But I don't know what to think, Zach. Like how, when I saw the car at the end, I was like, "Where is this going?" Yeah, I, I I was saying like I I know what that car is. I know that the writers and artists know what the car is. But how do the characters in the page know what that car is? You know what I'm saying? Like how does how does that fit into the story? Yeah. Yeah. That it's it's wild, um, or is it just like uh, like I mean I'm sure it's not I'm sure it's more than that but like part of me also thinks oh well that the car itself is not going to be a plot point, um, but just the the idea that it's in this mysterious lady's uh, museum or whatever is right. going to be in you know what I mean the the car itself might be less important than the the this this museum setting that that contains all these different artifacts yeah the first the first bendis superman crossover is the car (laughs) the car the car car. can we talk about the beetle (laughs) there we go there it is (laughs) well played sir uh can we talk about uh jimmy olsen boning down with talia al ghul yeah that's a little bit of a liberal take from uh, Bendis there. I think he's taking some liberties with with the sexual prowess of one James Olson. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> or maybe not. I don't know. I mean... Well, you know, that, that almost didn't feel like that felt like at first, like it could have just been like a, a one off goof. But then, you know, the tagline for this issue at the end is, for the next issue is leviathan rises yeah, that that's the big oh. that's the big um like of not event that that's that's where his super books are going right now mm-hmm. and yeah so, so Olsen rises too i guess yeah. yeah uh yeah that's interesting that you say that zach because um you know for the longest time Jimmy Olsen has just been like the reporter sidekick. It's been a while since we've seen him it's as been this, a while. Like... <laughs> Jesus. Um, it's been, uh, uh, we have not seen in quite some time uh, Jimmy Olsen as like this science adventurer. Right. That he kind of has been, you know, decades, decades earlier in DC. Yeah, really was... not since he got killed in justice league yeah yep which i don't even remember was that like when was that that was a joke it was at the very beginning of the movie oh oh, oh i thought you meant i thought you meant in the comics no i thought, I I thought to, that was some like... i meant in wait he was killed to be in justice league yeah. yes yeah 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 oh yeah i forgot about that <laughs> yeah by the kg beast right Right. It doesn't uh, happen. It doesn't happen yeah. in the Snyder Cut, which is why you might be confused, Brian, right. because we oh, did shit. watch the Snyder Cut. <laughs> well, um, of course, yeah. A few weeks ago, and we and he, he doesn't die in that. Right. I have to show you guys, um, and we can talk about this uh, on the air. But uh, so there, there is somebody who every single time 
DC tweets anything, he yep. replies with well, Snyder Cut. So today, yes. to, today, uh, I, I just sent you guys a picture in our in our uh, chat window here. Immediately after he sent us that, we also get a tweet at least once a day, and it's the same tweet, but it's all it's always us and whoever we recently tweeted with us. Someone says. Help me. I'm an artist. I'm in trouble. I discovered a cannibalism restaurant in Brazil. Now there's an agency of espionage torturing me. Can you save me? Please, I'm suffering. Hashtag crime. Hashtag cannibalism restaurant. At least, I don't want to laugh. At but... least once a day we get that tweet, though. <laughs> okay. Uh, I hope that's not true. I can't imagine them reaching out to Multiversity Comics <laughs> as, as their salvation. We'll 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 pass we'll pass that along to our government agencies that like to meddle in places like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. The... But it's, it's been going on for over a year now. The cannibalism restaurant thing. So, so he must be fine. Exactly. Yeah, he can still um... tweet. He's fine. <laughs> oh jeez. We're oh, okay. It's not real. It's not real. <laughs> let's just let's move on. Um. But yes, Where you're right. We go on. We go on. all right but anyway jimmy olsen's not in the snyder cut so yes um yeah right 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 so anyway what i was saying was zach that'd be really interesting if jimmy olsen becomes something of a pawn in this in this leviathan game in ways that are more than just him being the the goofy photographer sidekick you know um Mm -hmm. it'd be really interesting if he somehow plays a role in you know, and if he and if he really did, if he really is um, Eskimo buddies with Bruce, <laughs> <laughs> should I not say that? <laughs> that? I'm not familiar with that term, actually. <laughs> okay, actually, I think it's problematic, so I probably shouldn't have said that. But uh, but that's all right, though. Yeah. Uh, anything else to say about this issue? Um... It's really good. Yeah, very good. It was the first comic I read of the New Year releases. Because Vince had said that I should read Heroes in Crisis. And uh, I just decided (laughs) that I I, I didn't want to start the year that way. I did. I did that. But I technically, yeah, I technically read it before the New Year. Same, but but still, you know. It was the first thing I read. Yeah. And I didn't regret it. We'll get to that in a minute. Up first, though, we have Detective Comics number 995, written by Peter Tomasi, illustrated by Doug Monkey. And uh, this is an issue, guys. (sighs) A lot happens. The one important thing that happens is Leslie Tompkins dies. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Seems like it. Does this seem unnecessary to anybody else? It Um, doesn't feel real to me. Yeah, it seems like there it seems like there's so much going on that this is some sort of a ruse or something. How many ruses can we have with deaths in the DC universe right now, though? I'm, I mean, we can't. All, all the ruses. What are, what are you suggesting? Me? No, no, Brian. Oh. Like, I, I still don't believe that the Heroes in Crisis deaths are going to stick. Right. I don't either. 
And so there. So what? you think that this is you think that this is a part of that? No, I'm just saying like I just said like you know wouldn't you think editorial would be like well let's not kill someone just to bring them back again in Detective because we're going to do that in Heroes in Crisis. Well, you also think maybe like they would have said maybe we shouldn't Jokerize someone in, in the same week that. That's true. We have an, another Jokerization, <laughs> or at least one other. Were there were there two or three that week? There were several. <laughs> um, I, I do see what you're saying, Brian. But man, like, when when's the last time a, a a DC Comics death stuck for more than like six months? <laughs> uh, Ted Cord. I'm yeah I. Yeah, that was from like 2005 to like 2010, something like that. No, he was Dead Court was dead until Rebirth. Oh, he was. Yeah, for some reason I was thinking he came back in, um, in uh, Rebirth. But yeah, you're right. So 2011. No, no, no. That was that was New Fifty Two. Ted Court didn't come back until Rebirth. He was no, he was in. He was around before then. Nah, bruh. Yeah, he was. He was in Forever Evil. So that was 2013. No, he wasn't. Yes, he was, Brian. Go back and read it. <laughs> he was in a helicopter with Lex Luthor. Oh, you're yeah, right. He, he was. You're he was, right. Yeah. Shit. Okay, yeah, sorry. I guess I was just thinking about in the Blue Beetle guys, he wasn't back. He was back as Ted Cord. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think the last death before that. I don't know. Uh, I don't know, but, but at least like in mo- like recent continuity, there hasn't. I can't think of like a single one. Mon Pocket in uh, re- in uh, New Fifty Two. Yes, that's it. Yeah, I guess that's it. That's the big one. They're the new Uncle Ben. Yeah. <laughs> what's What's weird about this though is like it's way easier to retcon a superhero death. Than a a civilian a, death, a normie, yeah. yeah. Um, and it also just seems like it's not really necessary at all. Like I don't think I don't understand why writers keep thinking that Bruce needs to be pushed to the edge. Motherfucker <laughs> lives on the edge. Like he is he is a hair away from being a psychopath at every possible turn. I don't know why they keep these things having to keep happening to him where it's pushing him too far. Yeah, this is one of those cases where it really feels like each of the bad books is like completely disconnected and disparate. Yeah. Um because there are so many bad things happening that um do not factor into each other at all. I do want to just say though, uh, the other day I was going through some of my old comics looking for something Remember how there were four bat books at once for most of the New 52? Yeah, so what did we have? We had Bat, Tech, Dark Knight. Batman and Robin. Batman and Robin, yeah. Yep. But they weren't double shipping, so it's just about the same number of books. But it's just, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm reading Nightfall right now, and there's there's Batman, there's Tech, there's Shadow of the Bat. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure there's Legends of the Dark Knight. No, that I was, gonna, that, I was 
I want to say that's the was, out of continuity one, right? It is out of continuity, but it was running simultaneously. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there's, yeah, four bad books seems to be the thing. Yeah. But you're right, Zach. Like, this feels nothing at all like Batman, nor does it feel anything like like the Snyder stuff going on in Justice League and the Batman Who Laughs at all. Mm-hmm. It's just totally yeah. different bad stuff. Which, I'm I, on one hand, I'm okay with, but on, it, it does make, it kind of causes you to, I think, like, or tends to cause maybe someone to like fall into a particular camp and be like, okay, well, this is the bad book I'm going to read, or this is this is the Batman I'm going to follow. Yeah, I think that the the totally disparate books works when they're all doing different things. What's frustrating is that I think they're all doing kind of similar things, but they're mm-hmm. just doing it in a disconnected way. Mm-hmm. Like this book doesn't feel all that different than Batman in terms of what it's trying to accomplish. It's just doing it mm. in a different way. Right. Yeah, it's definitely. just, I mean, you could you could convince me with a few editorial tweaks that this is just part of the plan to break, for Bane to break Bruce Wayne right. again. You know what I mean? Even further. Even though it's not. Like, that's clearly not the case. But, like, doesn't feel that outside of the realm of possibility, you know? Yeah. Right. And, and at, like, a different time in DC, I feel like that, it would be played into that, like, yes. um, you know, you, you, Brian, you mentioned the the new new fifty two books, like the way that, um, like Damien's death in Ink was carried over into like Batman and Robin and like the Snyder Batman, even though it wasn't the focal point of those books, right? But it was made to kind of like fit in there in, in kind of a in a way that fit the plot of that book or. It, yeah. Um, whereas they could easily throw in a line here, or where even a character, you know, Alfred or Bruce could say, you know, oh, is this a, is this connected to Bane? And then there it is. <laughs> but they're not really trying to do that, right? Um, this was another issue where it it, it does the thing this week that I was talking about earlier with the car. Where Batman is basically freaking Rorschach at the end. <laughs> mm-hmm. One of one of the one of two Watchmen. Uh, yep. Uh huh. Yeah. References this week. This is the better one, and it sucks. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> no, I think the other one is the better one, just for how bad it is, just well, for how ballsy and bad. Sure. Say it. Say it however you want to. It's 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 terrible. Yeah. Uh, why are his eyes red? Why? <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> it's spookier that way. Exactly. Well, it's interesting because just a few panel pages before that, we have the panel of Doctor Arkham, and his eyes do that. I assume that's him, or still supposed to be him. Yeah, because the power goes out for a second. Yeah, but is that just the weird? Uh... Hey, why is the sky red in Gotham in those panels? Is this a crisis? I was going to say, this is crisis happening. What if it is? Uh, oh, what if this is all not real? Like, what if this is... What if that's the clue to it being not real? Yeah. If... 
I'm so tired of that. Wait, hey, what if all of Heroes in Crisis isn't real? Yeah. Wow, twisted. What if the Trump presidency is not real? Am I right? <laughs> okay. Oh, man. You're gonna, Brian. You're you're just gonna invite uh, <laughs> tweets your way. <laughs> Whatever. I just want to feel something, man. New. Um, <laughs> new year, new me. Yeah, no, new year, same me. We've been through this. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Feeling cute in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> Feeling cute, made delete. Yeah. Um, so Zoro shows up here because why not? Yeah, that, yep. that was my favorite part of this issue. Well, Marvel's doing uh, Conan in the in the Avengers, so yeah. DC's thought, well, we'll just we'll do Zoro. Zoro, who who was a perfect mimic of Jim Gordon's voice. Look, man, it doesn't have to make sense. <laughs> no, okay, so here we go. Now it all lines up. So Gordon's mad at Brute, at Batman over in the Tom King book. Okay. So he, he has become the vigilante Zorro and is is hell-bent on breaking Batman. He He's with Bane now, only he's Zorro. Oh, yeah. Commissioner Gordon is Zorro, and he works for Bane. I like it. After After Bruce punched him, that was like the end of the the end of the road for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I don't know. I, it's, I mean, this, the, this, the story is called mythology, right? This arc. Mm-hmm. And it begins with somebody recreating the, the Wayne murder, or at least the, the, the image of it. And then you've got they're trying to kill Bruce's de facto parents now, right? Right. Um so yeah, so so again it has me thinking like how much of this is real this is or or how much of it is just created to create this mythological using of Bruce's past to psychologically break him or whatever mm-hmm. it's the game basically right it's yep. it's like michael michael douglas yep and, Sh- and sean yeah. penn yeah 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 that's D- what this is it's a david fincher joint yeah that's right <clears throat> there's another bit of uh, of dc iconography here spoken by batman when he says that um he has one job in gotham which is to hold the line at two ninety nine. I think you're gonna make a total reference there and say that love isn't always on time. <laughs> uh, is that Toto? It is Toto. Oh, okay. You don't believe me. No, I'm Googling it. I don't believe you. It is Toto. I told you it's Toto. <laughs> I mean, uh... I know you told look, me that. Look, I saw Ringo Starr's All Star Band, look. and and Steve Lukather from Toto was there, and they played that song. So, look, I look. saw Ringo Starr's All Star Band. Look, I'm not proud of this fact, but <laughs> Toto's Four is a pop rock classic. Hmm. <laughs> uh. <clears throat> Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm spent on, on Detective. Zach, you got anything else? No. 
Um, I feel like Doug Monkey is same as he ever was art wise. Like it's still it's still good in many places, but I think that the Bat books are the least appealing spot for him to be for me, art wise. I think he does better like uh, with weirder or more cosmic stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's not bad by any means. But you know he's good he's as good once as he ever was. <laughs> we that's becoming a running reference on our show. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> I'm a little troubled by that. <laughs> that's no, uh, Tobias like Keith, right? <laughs> Oh, the the famous never nude. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of the goofs I do with my wife all the time. My wife is uh, shit like, you know, um, this reminds me of William Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire, like just by giving giving full names to uh, people like that. Put a boot in your jean shorts. It's the American way. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, all right. Well, let's get to the main event here, boyos. Heroes in Crisis number four, written oh, by fuck. Thomas King, illustrated by Clayton Mann. <laughs> 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 uh. All right. So here, you want, you ready for my hot take? Yeah. Th- yeah. This is the worst issue DC's published in five years of anything. I'm 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 with you. This is that yeah, bad. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, the only thing I would argue with that is, um, like the the Trigon Villains Month issue. That was more than five years ago. No, it wasn't. No, no it wasn't. It was pretty close. No, to... it was. It was it's close. It's yeah. it's disturbingly no, it was, close. It was more than a year. It was. What? It was 2013. What? <laughs> yep. Oh, no. Where's my life gone? <laughs> <laughs> You're right, Zach. Jesus Christ. Yep. So, <laughs> so now, do you agree with us? This is the worst comic of the last five years. Yeah, because now I'm only weighing it against other bad Tom King comics. Yeah. This is fucking atrocious. Yeah, it's 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 real bad. Um. Can I get the one the one moment that I liked in the entire issue out of the way first? I wonder if it's the same as mine. I, I'm fascinated, so go for it, boys. Is it, you're fascinated. Well, let me let me prod you here, Zach. Is it does it have anything to do with uh, Barry and Bruce? Yes, that's it. Yeah, that the moment where they're where, in the where, field where they both say, "Yeah, that was the best moment of the issue." Yes. Yep. Yep. And yeah. that was and the reason I want to bring it up is because okay, so let me find what page that was. Um. Page six in our PDF, so probably like page five of the story. Right. Um, we should four. just we should just page by page this issue. We really should. I think there's okay, I think yeah. there's enough good stuff in there. Fucking okay, okay. let's do it. Yep. Yeah, let's do it. All right. This. Oh man, on the fly, baby. First of all, I'm sorry, but that cover's really bad. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't look good. No, it's really, it's really not great. It looks like it looks like a convention sketch where like nothing is quite finished, but you know they got to pump out ten more of them. So it's really unfinished and and bad. 
Um, then you've got the, the the variant cover, which is Aquaman losing his hand, mm-hmm. uh, which feels like um, it feels like somebody saying like, ah, shit, what do we do for Aquaman? Yeah. Like what? What? what you know, like what uh, Although, mentally scarring moment has he had in his history? Although they totally they could have done the time when he got turned into a fish man. <laughs> <laughs> what I was going to say, though, is um, did Wonder Woman kill Maxwell Lord in the 90s or the early aughts? Aughts. It was uh, uh, It was this. It was part of the lead up to Infinite. Right, crisis. right. So I was gonna say. I think everything so far, except for that, has been the '90s, and this is a '90s thing. Mm-hmm. Like Superman well, dying and Batman's back being broken. You know, that, that, those were dark times. They were. All right. So, so page one, we get uh, Tempest, aka Aqualad, drinking in a bar. Perpetuating the stereotype that Atlanteans can't hold their liquor. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, and uh, but then we see on the next page Donna Troy carrying him out of there. Yeah, with some some Teen Titans and some Teen Titans graffiti. Yep. <laughs> yep. Well, because this... Hatton Hatton Corners was their like big. Was that where their base was back in the day? Ooh, I don't know. I think it was in uh, was it Happy Harbor, maybe. But Haddon Corners had that's some that is some Teen Titans connection. Yes, yeah. But but they're really this is they're the really least problematic section. Yes, yeah, I, I, I was gonna say, despite it being a character uh, succumbing to uh, alcohol to ease the pain <laughs> of his dead friends, this is the least problematic <laughs> part of the uh, issue by far. Okay, so so here's the first thing that I'm curious about with this issue. So far, all of the people that we've seen in the Sanctuary videos have all been people we know are dead. This issue, we get Donna Troy here, who is surely not. She was just on the page before. She's currently starring in Titans, right? Well, wait. No, that's not true, because you see people who were... You see Harley and you see Booster. Okay, okay and... yes, yes. Aside from Harley and Booster. I really yeah. can't remember. I think you're probably right. Okay. Or at least... For the most part, at, yeah. Let me rephrase that. At least people we know spent time at Sanctuary. So now mm-hmm. we're seeing that... I don't know if, if Donna Troy was at Sanctuary beforehand. Right. Or whatever. But that but that is, that is new information. Um. Mm. And uh, she basically is saying a soliloquy about the origin of her name. Yeah, this page is just Tom King letting you all know that he read the Iliad. Yep. That's pretty much it. Uh, So then we get that affirmation page of um, Barry and Bruce coming to the opposite conclusions. Yes, which is an objectively good page. Um, I, I love it because it's like one, one of our criticisms of Tom King is that he's writing all these characters and they all feel off to us. I think is our general consensus on that. Sure. But this page, I feel like perfectly it's, it's the two detectives of the justice league, right? Mm Mm-hmm investigating this this weird crime where the, the the readers themselves don't know whether it's Booster or Harley based on all the information we've been given. Mm-hmm. And they come to opposite conclusions. 
And I love that. I, I mean, that that is the right personality where like Bruce would say what he thinks would not comment on whether he thinks he's right or wrong, because of course he thinks he's right. Right. And when Barry hears Bruce say something else, knowing what a great detective Bruce is, he knows he's probably the one that's wrong. Right. <laughs> Which is not, and I like it because it doesn't, I, sometimes I feel like Tom King does these little comedic moments or little uh, um, sort of uh, job, like where one one superhero gets jobbed out for another to their denigration, but I don't feel like this denigrates Barry in any way. I, I don't. I also don't think that Barry thinks he's wrong. I just think that Barry realizes it's more complicated than they think it is. Sure, mm-hmm. but 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 I do I do. Maybe I'm bringing maybe I'm bringing this to the reading, but I would think that he would be the one to react that way and say, "Well, oh, if Bruce yes, is saying yes. this, then I have reason to say shit." You well, know, he he at least would acknowledge that there's a chance he's wrong. Yeah, not that he Which thinks Bruce he's wrong. Not. Right, exactly. Not that he thinks yeah. he's wrong, but he's acknowledging that we're being pedantic. Um. Yeah, no, that's yeah. that's exactly what I was trying to get across. Yeah. So thanks for also yes. this page yeah. is one of the better looking pages in the book. I think it is. Mm-hmm. It is. This is Clay Man's worst issue of this book. Mm. Yeah, by far. Um. All right. So next page. So, so someone else be the narrator for a minute here. Well, so so we've got Booster being interrogated by Wonder Woman with the Lasso of Truth. Um, he. Basically, is talking about the scene where we see Wally get bonked on the head, bonked on the old noggin by uh, <laughs> Harley's hammer, and then she knocks him out, um, and then he he flies away. Um, so there's really not much here. No, um, you know, um, it appears you. Know, there are, there are two pages of this, right? And it appears by the end of these two pages that Wonder Woman at least believes that Booster thinks he's telling the truth. And Booster mm-hmm. will get into that more later on. But, it, but you know, the Lasso of Truth is, is, you know, established in the canon as pretty much infallible, right? We've never yeah, seen yeah. that be tricked as far as I ever can recall. So Booster is telling the truth whatever that means. Right. Um, okay, then we get the first really problematic page. Yeah, what, what is, is this? <laughs> what is this? This is like a 90s comic come to life right here. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We get uh... Lois Lane in some, in some red panties and a Superman shirt. Uh, seductively asking Clark what she wants him, to, what he wants her to do. It turns out what she's really asking is 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 a uh, a journalism based question. But right, so why? But, but she's really asking the way it's presented, and maybe this is just a maybe this is an unfair reading. But in the way that it's presented, she's asking the reader. Yes. Oh, that's terrible. I didn't even think of that. I mean, she's Don't you? She's looking right at you, Vince. I know. That's that's oh, I I thought it was bad enough before. Oh man, Zach. And Zach, why'd you put that voodoo on me? <laughs> this is the first of 
what is an increasing number of women in this issue that are sexualized for no reason. Yeah. Yeah, that, uh, yeah. Oh, man. This is the the worst thing in the issue, I think. Well, and it's so because weird because I came why... at it with that yeah. reading. And, be, and it's because it's not only the artist here, because that, that line being on, that line being the only line on this page creates that effect too. So what the hell is Tom King going for here? Oh, we are supposed to be titillated by this. Well, what is that doing in this book? I don't know. And and I've said before on this show that like there's gratuitous uh, sexuality and, and depictions of, of female characters in comics and then there's like cheesecake and I'm I'm okay with cheese like there's to me if done correctly there's nothing wrong with like a cheesecakey book mm-hmm. you know yeah whether whether you're talking about depictions of men or women whatever um, it can be done. It, in this book, what is it doing here? This is supposed to be a book about like <laughs> trauma and um, a very serious like murder mystery surrounding the mental health of superheroes. And this issue, if nothing else, shows that Tom King has no idea what the fuck tone is, because <sighs> there are a number of places where there's just such dissonance in the in the tone of the overarching story of this book even like the the tone of the issue and then we get these wild diversions to something else like this yeah oh man there's gonna be a lot more said this week or you know before this episode comes out by by people who are smarter and more articulate than me about this i'm sure yeah zach and i are gonna talk yeah, <laughs> just fucking with you. <laughs> no, you go, you go right ahead, you guys. No, just... no, just kidding. Uh, I, I am very, uh, I, I can't, Im- I can't imagine a world. No, I can't. I, I, how are the takes on this going to be? Oh, it's going to be bad. But it, it can't be because this is, Tom King is good. I know, but there's going to be, there's already. If you if you look on Twitter, there's already stuff bubbling up from people who have read this issue okay in in much the same way that we have um and it's gonna happen come wednesday it's gonna happen and deservedly so because like again in this venue this stuff doesn't belong you know um right it it grossed me out and it and i didn't even think of it on the level that you did zach which is that's even worse. <laughs> well, just think about this. So it was a month ago, two months maybe, where Bendis had that scene of uh, of Lois and Clark boning down twice. Uh-huh. But like it was just – it was not at all creepy. There, no. There's a way to have this couple be sexual with each other that isn't really cringy. And between like what she's wearing – in the pose she's in with those eyes and that dialogue and dropped in the middle of this book, it just makes no sense. And they're not even being sexy. They're talking about sanctuary exactly. and the publers. Yes. Yeah. You know? <laughs> what the fuck? And then, are we moving on? Because then... Sure, sure. let's keep going. <laughs> then you've got uh, Barbara Gordon sitting down for her interview. Which consists of her um, taking off her show- belt and showing some uh, 
some scars. Yeah, showing her uh, her 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 Joker wounds. Um, which again, there is a way to do that. Um, without this weirdly lovingly uh, uh, kind of cheesecakey depiction of her doing this. Look at how unreasonably tight her costume is in some of these. Yep. <laughs> like, I, like I know heroes wear tight costumes and that's part of the thing. But like, again, like she's showing you, she's being vulnerable. She's showing you wounds here. And look at the like middle bottom panel. You're basically seeing like all the anatomy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all the musculature, you know? It's really just not a a careful depiction of this kind of thing. Agreed. Uh, then that's followed up by I don't know if it's the worst sequence in the book, but it's it's really bad. The Harley Batgirl sequence. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, Clayman just again like is just. Every every panel of, of both of these characters, their breasts are the focal point of the panel, and it's just it's everything is so super sexualized for this fight between the two of them, um, for reasons I just don't understand. I don't get it. You know, you really couldn't have had this this Batgirl in the um, Babstar outfit. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Yeah. <clears throat> so I don't know. We're all just being a bunch of prudes. N- I guess well, so. no, because again, like I, I'm, I'll be the first to admit that, like, that you jack off to most DC comics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. That 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 like no. that there is that there is a time and place for it, and there is a way to even do cheesecake where it's not, uh, like. Showing you buttholes and things like that. <laughs> to, to, you know, there's a way to do like a, a, a Milo Monera style cover where you don't have to see Spider Woman's, um, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, like, there's a way to be fun and sexy sometimes in comics. And not only does this push the actual visuals a little too far. But it also is just in a setting and in a in a book that's of a different tone that that it just doesn't make any sense. Like you, like you keep saying, Brian, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't even make sense to want this book to be a little sexy or whatever it's trying to do here, right? You know. And then like, uh, I feel like all this stuff with with uh, Harley and and Babs hand fighting is supposed to be profound in some way. Even though Harley's uh, like basically saying a nursery rhyme, yeah, and 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 Babs is spouting off a what what Tom King would like us to believe that Babs thinks that Bruce thinks about her, right? Yep. And I think it couldn't be further. Like there is no reasonable way that Barbara Gordon thinks that Bruce actually feels this way about her. Where she says that when Bruce looks at her, he sees her as pitiful and broken. That could not be further from the way that I think Bruce is 
pretty much ever been depicted. I feel like uh, Bruce, interacting with Babs. Bruce looks at his family as his only success. Like he, yeah. he he hurts for how he's failed them, but none of that failure is on them. All of that failure is on Bruce. Mm-hmm. Like he would never say that she was broken and pathetic. He's broken and pathetic, and that and maybe he blames himself for what happened to her, but it has nothing to do with her whatsoever. Yeah. And I don't see why Babs would think that. Like I, I know we all have insecurities that aren't true or we tell we tell ourselves things that that aren't real. But to me, there's nothing like where does this come from? This is not this is not a depiction that makes sense on any level based on any again, it's it's not based in anything that we've come to know about these characters, you know? Yeah. Um Yeah, I don't know. And then and then just like them hugging it out, like I guess that's I guess that's fine. It doesn't really feel earned or real. And and again, it's hyper, it's like hypersexualized by the art. But it's, it probably is what Babs would try to do, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I just don't, it, I just it, don't it's, think it's. Yeah, it's right. It doesn't feel earned and it's followed by like several bad takes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or preceded by several bad preceded takes. Preceded and, and and followed by yeah. actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So who wants to take the next? We're we're on to Dinah and Ali. Yeah. Zach, go um, for it. Dinah's homicidal now. <laughs> she doesn't care. It's two pages of that. Um. Maybe the maybe uh, maybe the least are... necessary pages in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure they'll unfold maybe in a way in future issues that where this this makes sense, but but again, like it's totally feels superfluous at this point. Well, um, especially because like we know that um, Green Arrow's ending with March is number fifty, and that that is labeled as a tie-in to Justice League, Heroes in Crisis, and Doomsday Clock, I believe. Oh man! Wow. Um, maybe I'm wrong I'll, about I'll, that. Ollie is Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. <laughs> um, one thing I want to point out, as long as we're on this page with, with Black Canary leaving her interview, one thing that this book does that annoys me, let's see if I can articulate this. Um, I feel like we're always the ones who bring up like, how DC is using profanity. I mean, I think it's interesting to, I think it is an interesting thing to watch. You know, um, there was a issue of detective comics two years ago when rebirth first started that used the word, the uncensored word asshole. Right. Yep. Um, which, which is interesting. And I, and I don't have necessarily have a problem with that. I don't, you know, I think, I think comics should skew younger or, or, or less mature, but, but I'm sorry, you know, by the way, it did not mention, um, uh, Doomsday Clock and that solicit, but it's spinning out of the oh. events of Justice League, No Justice, and Heroes in Crisis. So sorry, okay. go ahead. No, that's all right. So, so I don't really mind when DC does that if it's sparing or if it's or if it's for like a good reason. Um, I think about how Scott Snyder he doesn't do it a lot, but like every few issues, as a joke, somebody will say a word that has to be censored, right? Mm-hmm. 
and it, it it's it's usually used for humor or whatever. I feel like in Heroes in Crisis and this issue in particular has like three or four instances of it. There are there's censored cursing that exists. Again, this is probably very subjective of me to say this. It feels like it exists only to tell the reader this is a mature book. I completely agree. Yeah. Like she says, ah, fuck this and walks away. Like there's there's a million ways to get that across. But in Heroes in Crisis, we're going to do the censored swear because this is a serious book. And like, you know, Barry saying shit when he realizes that he and Bruce have come to different conclusions that mm-hmm. in another book that would have been played for for laughs in some way. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's King's intention here. Well, and even if that were the only instance of it, I would be like, oh, OK, that's that's just a funny moment for Barry or it's like a it's like a you know, it's like an oh shit moment for Barry. Right. But then like it's just done so many times in this issue. It's done on the very next page with uh, Booster Gold. Yep. Talking to talking to Ted. And he says, I mean, probably fuck is probably what that's meant to be. But or shit, you can't or shit, yeah. you know, but it doesn't matter. And then to me, like. To me, because it doesn't matter what that word is, we're just supposed to know that he's swearing. Yep. That, that that's like, oh, this is just supposed to be a, a sweary book. Yeah. You know. I don't know. Am I am I off the mark on that? No. Am I being a prude? No, I, I, I legitimately think that the difference is that like if if someone else wrote this script, there would have been something where Barry would have said shit and that would have needed to be censored. I really think Tom King wrote in like censored curse for all these things because the word doesn't <laughs> matter. It's just the fact that it's a censored curse matters. Uh-huh. Right. Because like if you, the title of this issue is that particular sequence of symbols, mm-hmm. this, and then Barry uses those symbols Ah, yep. In his curse. Well, okay, no, it's not the exact symbols. It's it's similar. They all start with a dollar sign. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but it is curse. Like that's yeah. clearly the focal point of the issue because it's called "fuck this." Yeah, yeah. Barry does it. Black Canary does it. Booster does it. Uh, Booster. Yeah. All right. So this booster scene. Um. First of all, I, I do want to say that I like seeing Booster and Ted together in a scene. I wish it was any other book with this one, that we got them together again. Because I love the blue and gold together. I think they're great. Mm. Yes. I think this was the other moment in the issue that trended towards being good. Well, until a certain phrase is uttered. Yes. Well, yes. <laughs> That's... <laughs> Why don't, why, don't, why don't you give us a dramatic reading? Um, so I'm just gonna, I'll read Ted's lines going up to that, okay? Okay. I was thinking the same thing. You got to face what they got. It's really the right thing to do. But then I remembered the code. Bros before heroes. Wow! <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Dude. And then we get a fist bump. Yeah. A close up on a fist bump. <laughs> a terrorist fist jab? 
In this case, it kind of is a terrorist fist jab because they are evading justice. <laughs> and and you know, I know we're gonna get to the the specific Watchmen reference, but this, this is Archimedes. Also, yeah, busting well, Rorschach out of jail. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I thought this was going to be the scene with where Hallelujah plays. Oh, well, maybe. Well, it, it is. Reunited, and it feels so good. I mean, ch- check out the glutes on uh on Booster there. Yeah, I mean, don't don't get me wrong. They're, the men are object are objectified in this too. Um, not in not in anywhere near the same capacity, but they do have they do have some killer ass. Yeah, uh, it's comic. So for sure. I mean. It's not just me that is profoundly bothered by the idea of Ted Cord boosting his possible murdering friend, right? Like, we're supposed to be rooting for these characters. I, I, I think I don't know. Nothing in this book has indicated that at all. <laughs> Fair enough. No, I think. I, I think it's what Ted would do, and I think, like, I think I do think superhero stories do this all the time, where the f- heroes that are friendly with one another put their trust in somebody who may have done, or, or who the world perceives has done something bad because they believe that it couldn't possibly be true, you know? Sure, but if, I, if Booster was going to be executed, yeah, fine. <laughs> He's at the Hall of Justice, man. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I don't get it. I don't no, I I do agree with you, but I also think it does it it does not bother any any writer any book could do of a scene like this, and I more or less think that it was fine. Okay, I I don't. This is not an exclusively. This is not a thing I'm going to nail Tom King for. That's in fair. this case. That's fair. Um. So then Blue Beetle gives what is essentially Tom King's like treaty treatise on uh on what this comic is about how like you know you die and then you get over it but you also kind of don't get over it and uh you know again a really insultingly simplified take on what superhero comics are Mm -hmm. i mean it's basically this could be overplaying it but but it's almost like part part of superhero comics is that heroes die and they come back to life and we're supposed to just be able to hand wave it away a little you know Mm -hmm. um like literally every major superhero basically has has died at one point or another right yeah but they don't walk around every minute of the day, you know, in every issue of every comic with that hanging over their heads, more or less a new writer comes on and for the most part waves that away. Right. That's just what you do with 80 years of serialized storytelling. Right. And I feel like this scene with Ted is telling you how to approach reading this comic. Like, Eh, well, you know, while he died, he's going to be back. It's just this is how this goes, you know. It's taking away the natural hand-waving that we're supposed to do as readers, you know. Mm-hmm. We, you and I know, we all know that 
someday these characters that, that were killed uh, will come back. It could happen at the very end of this very series, you know, for all we know. But you're not supposed to... And again, this is just this is personal preference, I guess. But you don't take the magic away that says like, ah, they, you know, we're going to we're going to die, you know, three times by the time you're done reading comics. You know what I mean? Ted's going to die and come back to life and die and come back to life. It's just going to happen. It's just a fact of, you know, don't take that magic out of the comic itself. You know, I feel like that's what's being done here. Tom King is basically asking if we still believe in superheroes because it's marginal. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, man. Direct all of your comments to at Brian needs a nap yep. mm-hmm. at twitter.com. Yep. <clears throat> all right. So the Zach. Yeah. Last scene and best scene. <laughs> best, best, best scene. The best line in this uh, book is Wonder Woman saying suffering Sappho, yeah. which it's how many, uh, when, when was the last time she said that? 50 years ago? And you have, I don't you, know, you would be the authority yeah, there. <laughs> and you have to read it in like uh, Sylvester the Cat voice, right? <laughs> suffering Sappho. Yeah. <laughs> Terry Scheifel was murdered. <laughs> See that coming? <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> Go on, keep talking. Oh. Zach, Zach, tell us why this is the best. Okay, okay. So as Wonder Woman screams, "Suffering Sappho." Uh, she punches the penny, it falls, breaks a Batmobile, uh, Bruce says something pithy, um, and then we get the lead into just the, just the, 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 just the absolute cherry on top. Um, there's something that Clark has to tell them. Lois has been getting uh, leaks about these uh, from the from the pub. Uh, no, they're not called the puddlers, right? I, I can't remember. It doesn't matter. Forget it. It's just sanctuary files. They have the videos. She's going to leak them. And Bruce wants to know why he hasn't told them. How long has he known? And then Clark says, well, that's the thing. That's why I decided to tell you now. She sent it 35 seconds ago. <laughs> and behind him are innumerable monitors exclaiming secrets exposed exclusive breaking news sanctuary revealed (laughs) and then we even get watchmen back matter superheroes recover in secret sanctuary we do is this the least earned reference that's ever been (laughs) So you left out one, I think, important part here, Zach. Well, what's the important thing? Which is that, like, I get that even though he's the alien, you know, Clark is the only one of the of the Trinity 
that has anything resembling a normal human life, right? He has a spouse that he respects, and they they have they have secrets and conversations and all that that just stay between them. And you know, while obviously I understand why Bruce and Diana will be upset about this, they both kind of treat Clark's marriage like it should be not important. In this instance, that Clark's marriage should have nothing to do with this, and I just think that's a really um, inhumane way to paint two of DC's biggest heroes to have like no understanding of the fact that that Clark and Lois's marriage vows mean something more than just mm-hmm. does, it, does that make sense? Does it make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but yeah, yeah, and I just think like. Hmm. Why? Why do you reference Watchmen here? You know, because Tom um, King can't come unless he references Watchmen once a day. <laughs> uh, you know, short short of me like saying that Watchmen is untouchable. You know, Lord knows that they've dragged it through the mud enough over these last many years. Um. It's just, why? To to what end? You know, is this supposed to be? Are you supposed with this I, character? Yeah. How does Superman play the Ozymandias role here? <laughs> right, right. For you're you're talking about. <laughs> I'm taking it way too seriously, but like. In Watchmen, you're talking about the destruction of a third of Manhattan or whatever. Here you're talking about a secret getting out that might make them look bad. For it, it's parody at this at this point. Yes, it is because I saw this panel and I cackled, and I don't think that that's the intended reaction, right? the The intended reaction was not cackling and. Uh, sending you guys texts about how ridiculous this is, you know, but that's what I did. See, I, I think in Tom King's mind, Ozymandias does what he does to save the world. And that King is saying that sanctuary being made public is what's going to save like the superhero, like the soul of the superheroes, essentially. <clears throat> it's it's dumb, but that's, yeah. that's the only reading I can take from it. Well, okay. Again, I might be I might be overthinking it. I think w- one thing I do with one thing I've done with this comic since the very first issue is I I've said you know all of this stuff can be undone by the ninth issue of this book or how, whatever however many it's going to be. Um, I think for the first issue, you know, talking about the deaths, well, that can all be undone. Uh, something we've talked about throughout is, um, how cold, uh, the hero, the Trinity seems throughout this whole thing. And while that might be okay for Batman, it's doesn't feel true when it comes to Wonder Woman or, or Clark, you know, especially Clark has felt like weirdly alien in this. And maybe by the end 
of the of the event, Clark comes around. Because remember in like the first or second issue when he's like, "This this can't get out. The public can't know that we have insecurities." Right. Yep. To to me that at the time that felt so false that that Superman would never think that a Superman who was raised on earth by the family he was raised by, uh, you know, in the context of DC comics has been raised to be this incredibly warm and understanding human person, you know? Um, so that has felt false, but if by the end, like you just need Superman to come around and say, no, this is a good thing that, that sanctuary got out, you know, maybe that's the point that Tom King is going for. I still don't think, I think that that rings like either way that rings very false for, for Clark, because I don't think he would have those insecurities to begin with. But if that's what King is going for, then I guess I can at least see the arc that he's on. But I don't even trust him to make that comic about this, you know? Yeah. I don't trust, I don't trust that that's what he's going for here. I, I trust only that right now in this moment, he's doing a Watchmen reference to, to no effect, you know? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, so much of what King it does is rip off Watchmen, but he's usually ripping off Watchmen in, in matters of More tone like stylistic, or stylistic yeah. matters, exactly. Not in you know plot beats. This is this this is now two scenes in a row that are directly ripping off Watchmen. Mm-hmm. It but makes me. Even... It may... oh, go ahead, Zach. Sorry. Oh, I, I, if you got, I, I didn't know if we had anything more. So I was just gonna say it's not even the end. We have one more page left. Yeah. Go ahead, Vince. Before we get to the oh, I was just page. Gonna, I was just going to say between this and Doomsday Clock and uh, the way that Tomasi ended that issue of Detective, it makes me wonder if, like, is this all intentional, or or, or are, is this just creators getting their getting their rocks off, you know, or are they intentionally referencing Watchmen because as Doomsday Clock winds down. We're we're going to be tying into that a lot more. I mean, I think we've we have presupposed in the past that Doomsday Clock, that the, that the delays of Doomsday Clock are the only reason we're getting Heroes in Crisis, right? In terms of like a, a universe shaking event at this I'm, time, right? I'm wondering if whether that's maybe not really the maybe maybe they found a way to make this all end up being about Watchmen. I don't know. If that's the case, that's just really dumb. I don't think that's the case, but I'm speculating, like, or or did Tomasi and King just on their own decide to completely rip off direct dialogue from, from Watchmen on the same week? Yeah. Or is there something subtly going on in the background where it's like these books are going to start to draw more parallels as we get closer to resolving Doomsday Clock? I don't know. Who even knows? I I don't know that I care enough to find out, especially in regards to this book, but... 
Zach, you want to take us through that last page? Um, so we we have Harley and Batgirl again, uh, the Dynamicer duo. Um, Batgirl <laughs> almost says hmm, herm, and then she uh, checks the she gets the word about Sanctuary. Everybody knows um, it'll change the world, and Harley closes us out with uh, you know expletive of your choice. The world, bitch. The world it needs changing. There you go. <laughs> it was a this was a, a a dour read through of a dour book. Yeah, but doesn't that doesn't that last page sort of reinforce the idea that King is think is saying that the truth about sanctuary, even though it's going to destroy some things, is going to save everything. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, honestly, I think that's just like communism. (laughs) That's a valid – I think that's a valid place to end up. I just think the entire approach to – you know, if if at the end of this everybody realizes that, oh, you know, maybe superhero mental health is something that we should talk about more, you know, that's probably true. But the road to getting there has just been so tonally all over the place. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, let's take a break. <sighs> we'll be back with a little bit more right after this. Hello, podcast listener. I'm Kevin. I'm Jess. And I'm Nick. And we are Make Mine Multiversity, a monthly podcast discussing all things Marvel Comics. Each month we will be discussing Marvel news and looking at some of their major recent comic book or movie releases. We also look at older storylines, character histories, and Marvel's place in the overall comics market. We have a variety of perspectives. The recent Marvel fan. The jaded longtime reader. And the reader who's finally digging into Marvel's back catalog after a decade of avoidance. If you want to know what books made me cry this month, what books made me almost cry this month? And what books I wish would make me feel something? Check out Make Mine Multiversity, a Marvel podcast, the fourth Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcast, or your podcatcher of choice. And Make Mine Marvel. Multiversity. Multiversity. And we are back. We're actually going to wrap our, our last two sort of long-form discussions into the, the shorter-form ones, because we don't have a ton to say about them. Um, but before we get to that, I just informed the boys they hadn't seen this that over the last few days, Brian Hill, writer of uh, American Carnage and the upcoming Batman and the Outsiders, had said that 2019 will likely be his last year working in comics, at least for the foreseeable future, that he has film and TV stuff he wants to tackle, but that he is going to finish up his commitments, which is American Carnage and Batman and the Outsiders and uh, Killmonger over at Marvel and an unannounced series also um he's also doing the kiss comic over at dynamite so i guess that probably includes that as well i don't know um no that's the one that'll keep going (laughs) uh but you know Ah, that's a bummer it's a real bummer i mean i i think i speak for all of us when i say that american carnage if if it had come out a month or two earlier would have probably been pretty high on our end of year stuff right yeah I mean, on one hand, if he's planning it as like a twelve-issue series, that's not a bad thing to have him, you know, 
do that series and be done with it and not try and drag it on longer than it needs to. Um, but I thought that Hill brought a really interesting voice to DC and I've liked, I think just about everything I've ever read from him. And so this is a real bummer. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I wish him success in everything that he does. Uh, and if, and if that's what he, and you know, if he, if he doesn't want to work in comics right now or whatever, that's, you know, who are we to say he should, but, uh, Man, he was good at it. Yeah. And who knows? You know, maybe he'll be back sooner than we think. Because um, it's funny, like, you know, Jonathan Hickman has not said he's taking a break from comics, but all indications are that he's, you know, <laughs> been more or less taking a break from comics the last few years. So, yeah, yeah who knows? Till, till, that, till that Legion of Superheroes book. Ooh, baby. <laughs> Ooh, baby. <laughs> He's holding out, baby. Yep. <laughs> uh, that would be the greatest thing ever. And therefore, it will never happen. Because we live <laughs> in the dumbest timeline possible. Um, all right. Well, let, let's talk about these these five last books then. Uh, let's get to Batgirl number 30, written by Marigreed Scott, illustrated by Paul Pelletier. Vince, you had one thing you want to say about this issue. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... I thought the I thought the issue was just okay, but I think it's really interesting that uh, having just read I mean I just read Detective Comics number four ninety one, which this comic itself pulls a ton from. Um, that was back in the seventies, I think it may have been early eighties. I want to say seventies though, late seventies. I don't 100% know for sure. But anyway, anyway, there was a time in Detective Comics where uh, Barbara Gordon was really involved in politics uh, to the point where she actually became a congresswoman. Um, and I think, oh, God, I think that happened, like, maybe right before Crisis or it, – it's a little – the timeline's a little hazy. But anyway, she got involved in, in politics, became a congresswoman, retired from the – Batgirl mantle. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting that uh, Scott is pulling so much from that particular comic because um, Jason Bard has a story in that d- issue of Detective Comics, and he's in this issue. Uh, in the assassination of Batgirl story, which is from Detective Comics 491, they send an assassin named Cormorant after her oh wow yeah yeah the, so much of this issue is pulled directly from this one issue of detective comics it's insane um and i think i think that's really interesting i think again it's a case this week of people pulling out because uh you know before before the killing joke and it's a shame that this was the case but there's not a whole lot of like essential Barbara Gordon stories, right? at least not in the minds of, you know, in, in a macro sense. Uh, but the assassination of Batgirl is like the big one that I can think of, um, you know, pre-crisis or whatever. And uh, it's interesting that this comic just wholesale, like pulls so much out of that and repurposes it for a, a post rebirth. I, I just thought that was really fun bit of trivia. 
And that's all I wanted to say. Um, what I wanted to say about this issue was that it's, um, well, it's still, I think, not great. I think this is the first issue of Scott's run so far that I'm interested to see what happens next. And that maybe the book is turning around a little bit. Um, yeah. I also want to say that uh, across the Bat books right now, Jim Gordon's having a rough go. <laughs> yeah. Zach, anything about Batgirl? No, not particularly. Okay. Well, let's talk about The Flash, number 61, then. Written by Josh Williamson, illustrated by Christian Duce. Um, I, I, I had mentioned want to talk about this book just because I felt that there were there were two things here. First of all, I feel like it's rare that we get a moment where a superhero tries to teach someone a lesson, and it, it's a good person. It's not a villain. It's not like try, it's not like Batman trying to teach the Joker a lesson. It's you know the Flash is trying to tell. Um, I forget her name. What is her name? The the uh, the strong force person uh where is it where is it you know he tries to tell her like you know that essentially we have to be better than them and all that and she just flatly rejects what he says and that's interesting that doesn't happen that often Uh, that was uh, was a nice uh touch from williamson of making the story a little bit different than what we're used to seeing in that regard um but i wanted to really talk about the end of the issue where Flash and Iris and Iris go uh, undercover um, to try and find the Sage Force user, and then they they find him, and he's uh, he's a big fan of Barry's. Again, I think that was a pretty interesting twist at the end. I felt I felt this issue nicely worked within the expectations we think we have, but subverted them each way, or each step rather. It, it, yeah, definitely. It reminded me a lot of uh, the superior foes of Spider-Man um, kind of stuff that Nick Spencer did over at Marvel, mm-hmm. which Spencer's writing amazing right now. And uh, just a couple months ago, he revisited the superior foes idea within Amazing. And the scene of the scene of the villains sitting around playing cards is very like they do that in amazing too. So, uh, huge vibes coming on and, and very funny too. How is that um, Spencer amazing run? It's okay. I don't think it's better than slot. Okay. But slots is so huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's fine though. It's not, you know, it's not like Spencer's cap where it's garbage. Right. Okay. Zach, any flash thoughts? Uh, still good. I'm never, I'm never as big on the Duce issues. Um, yeah, not, I agree not with too that. much to say. Yeah, right now about this issue. I do think that this book continues to feel like one of the few books of Rebirth that has not lost its overall game plan since it started. Does that make sense? Like it still feels like it's very much Williamson has a story he's trying to tell, and he's doing a good job of telling that lar- very very large story. Yeah. 
All right, let's jump over to the Terrifics, number 11, written by Jeff Lemire, illustrated by Victor Bogdanovic. Vince, you want to talk about this one? Lay it on us. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think this was a, a really interesting issue because it explored a, a bunch of the different Earths in the multiverse mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, we saw the Earth-23 uh, Obama Superman. <laughs> Um, always a favorite yep um, we saw the Gotham Gaslight Earth yep yep uh, was that that's the vampire which, one that's the yeah that's the uh, I'm which character was uh, Plastic Man I think was the vampire I believe right? so yes because yeah. at the end they put together at the end of this they put together the dreadfuls which are <laughs> which are villain versions of the heroes pulled from different Earths which I think is really Again, it's that thing that that Lemire likes to do, which is um, work in alternate takes on characters, or or take pluck characters uh, out of situations and, and sort of mix them up and rearrange them. Kind of like what he's doing uh, with the Black Hammer stuff, where he takes these different concepts from throughout like superhero comics history and kind of remixes them for his own for his own book. You know, mm-hmm. um, and and I, he continues to do that here, and it's a lot of fun. Um, and Victor Bogdanovic's art is awesome. I he's post rebirth. He's one of my favorite guys. DC's been rotating through here. Um, basically, anywhere he pops up is a book I'm I'm interested in reading, even if it's something like Silencer, just if for nothing else but to look at his art. Yeah. Mm. I think this may have been my second favorite issue of the week, actually. Yeah. Rock on. Yeah. It was a light week, but I did like this issue a lot. Um, I, you know, definitely dug all of the multiverse stuff. Um, Eel's Kid was pretty cool. Yeah. So that, you know, like that's an established character already. I was going to get to that. Um, like, Luke O'Brien is offspring from um I don't know if it was the first time he was introduced but he was in Kingdom Come and then was in the sequel like pretty prominently. Mm. So, I wonder if Lemire is going to try to make that a thing. Okay, it looks like his first appearance was in JLA 65 back in 2002. So maybe he wasn't in I thought the son of Plastic Man was in Kingdom Come. I don't remember. Maybe that's that. just maybe it's just this continuity. Um, let's see. He has that like really distinctive white costume. Mm-hmm. It almost kind of looks like a. Um, yeah, here he is. Yeah, he was in the Kingdom. It has it has that really good Frank Quitely cover. I'll, uh, send it over to you guys in the chat but yeah i thought that was pretty interesting um little thing to add in and uh yeah the multiverse stuff was good i'm i'm in for that so yeah i like this issue a lot yeah oh yeah i enjoyed this issue too i just have one minor gripe and this is this is really small but it's that i i don't love that Lemire is still presenting Mr. Terrific as a loner. 
Because I feel like so much of his history is as a member of the JSA. And uh, I know that the Justice Society is not a thing yet and all that, but it just seems like he's really, really pushing on the not-a-good-team-player thing, and I feel like that's not really who Mr. Terrific has been historically. Mm. Other than that, I, I really dug this issue, too. I like Metamorpho trying to get a job and, like, listing his... Uh, his CV is just being like, you know, I can fly a helicopter without a license. <laughs> <laughs> so. I dug that. All right, just uh, two more here. Next up, we got Titans, number 32, written by Dan Abnett, illustrated by Clayton Henry, who continues to do really nice work on this book. Glad he's glad he's at DC right now. Uh, Zach, you want to talk about this book, so lay it on us. Uh, um, so really the only thing that I wanted to bring out in this is, um, you know, we get the origin for the new mother blood, um, and we get that delightful panel. Um, oh man, where was it? Where is it? It's, um, page. Oh, wait, where was it? Isn't there just a page in here where it just says like mother Mother. I don't know, I but you, you want to do an Arrested oh, yeah. Development, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I wanted to do an Arrested Development. I can't find it now. Um, but there's that, and then we also get an interesting little thing where the bleed gets tied into the red. I thought that was the most interesting part of this issue. Yeah. Well, I, I think I had I mentioned this last time about Titans. I feel like Abnett is pulling in so much interesting DC mythology that would normally never go together. In this, and mm. I feel like the bleed and the red being put together is exactly that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm interested to see where that goes. Yeah, my, my gripe with this issue is just that this is this took you know seven eighths of an issue to introduce us, introduce us to a character that we really didn't need an introduction to. Mm-hmm. But yeah. And uh, also, I really kind of, I, I don't think I read that issue of Teen Titans that is referenced here. Um, maybe I did. I really can't remember. <laughs> so I was kind of confused about like when this was taking place and why there was a Brother Blood and a Mother Blood. And I believe Brother Blood is currently in Robin's uh, like prison place. Yes, I think that's correct. Yeah, didn't that happen in like the that one shot issue? It might have, yeah. Maybe. Um but yeah. I hope next next issue gets back to the Titans at hand as opposed to the uh Mother Blood stuff. Mm-hmm. And last up, we've got Wonder Woman sixty one, written by G. Willow Wilson. Illustrated by Zermanico. Um, Vince, why why did this make your list of books to talk about? Well, I just wanted to talk about how, you know, G. Willow Wilson's run, and we don't know how long it's going to be. We, we've heard rumors that there's other writers waiting in the wings with Wonder Woman stories, so I'm, I'm not sure how long this is going to last. But But one thing that I really like about it is that 
she's slowly cycling in gods back into the story. You know, we've got Aphrodite, Ares comes back. Um, and they're given really interesting personalities and character. Like I like all the stuff with Aphrodite in this, you know, I think it's additive to the wonder woman mythos. I feel like this feels like uh, classic wonder woman in some ways back in the George Perez stuff. The, the gods were constantly meddling in the affairs of earth and wonder woman and all that stuff. And I feel like, you know, bit by bit that's starting to happen again. And I, and I really like, and I think, I think G Willow Wilson is really good at taking like the idea of Aphrodite as the God of love or the goddess of love and applying that in the story. Uh, you know, me, uh, how do I say it? Like, like applying this idea of love to wonder woman as a character. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and bouncing that goddess character off of her in that way. And it's interesting then to hear, like, in the dialogue, you hear Wonder Woman's thoughts on love and uh, Steve's thoughts on love and how how they differ and why, you know. And I, and I think Wilson's really good at drawing that out. And I think that that's part of um, – that is part of what a Wonder Woman comic should do at times. I don't think – not every writer focuses on stuff like that. And uh, I think, I think this just very Steve Orlando's wonder woman run was really good. And I want, I definitely want to see more wonder woman stories from him, but this feels even more like classic Perez style wonder woman to me. Well, I think both of them also did a really nice job. And we've talked about this before of tying in, Wonder Woman history into their stories. I feel like this Steve Trevor, and don't hold this against him, is the most like James Robinson Steve Trevor. Calling her Angel and stuff like that. Even just taking little bits like that from the recent past and mixing it in there, I think is is a good thing. I, I'm, I think it's very easy for us to fall in love with books like Kelly Pseudoconics, Aquaman, where everything is kind of tossed aside for a while. But I think it's much harder to do what Wilson is doing, which is to try and make all of this stuff fit together in as neatly as possible. Yeah. And Zermanico's art looks really nice. Um, dare I say, I think it, I think it looks better than um, who was drawing the book before. Carrie Nord. Yeah. 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 Wow. Wow. That's fair. No hate from me for that. Uh, we should also mention that uh, on the good list this week are Books of Magic and Scarlet. On the okay list are Justice League Odyssey, uh, Hex Wives, and Old Lady Harley. And the bad list is Batman Beyond in The Silencer. And what do we have coming up next week? Well, we got Young Justice, number one, boys. Oh! And we got the Green Lantern. Yeah. Just those two books alone <laughs> means it'll probably be a better week than this week. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, 
But we also get Martian Manhunter. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Martian Manhunter, And Justice yeah. League. And Justice League. And, uh, Last and issue we... of the Unexpected. Yes, yep. And Deathstroke. And we Ooh, get to yeah. we, we get to figure out what the heck is up with that kid who's got uh, Thomas and Martha written under his eyes. Oh, oh gosh, <laughs> <In> scars. <laughs> well, in the sequel to the masterpiece of dark horror from Batman number thirty-eight, <laughs> well, the scars remind us that the past is real. <laughs> Well, until then, you can find uh, two-thirds of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. I'm at Woker Fox. If you need to get in touch with Vince somehow, uh, Vince is currently hunched over his laptop writing a 12,000-word uh, expose for Multiversity called When Cheesecake Works. And uh, <laughs> you know, So look for that soon on MultiversityComics.com. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Um, until next time, be thankful Heroes in Crisis is out monthly and not twice monthly. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Uh, we quote SpongeBob all the time in my household, so. You're a SpongeBob house? We are a SpongeBob house. We're a silent Bob house. <laughs> We're a Bob from Twin Peaks house. Uh, there we go. We're a Bob the Goon house. <laughs> Sideshow Bob house. Oh! We are both the Lost in Translation Bob Harris and also the D- the DC uh, executive Bob Harris house. <laughs> well, that's that's dark. <laughs>